Talofa and welcome back listeners to My Fabulous Blind Life. I'm your host, Nicole, and today we're going to be talking about events that happened after my wedding. Once James and I were married, I pretty much thought it would be happily ever after. Well, you know what I found out? It's not. Even though we did premarital counseling and established a firm marital uh, platform, I guess you could say, to start off from, you still have to continue to work on that platform or foundation or else it just crumbles beneath you. James and I didn't leave immediately after our wedding for our honeymoon. We still had family in town for a few days and wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. When it was time for our honeymoon, we decided to spend three weeks in Florida. We rented a house or villa as they call it in Florida that was three bedrooms. It was the smallest one they had available and it was fully furnished with a pool. Although we didn't need all that space or those three rooms, as a newlywed or honeymooning couple, we sure did put them all to good use. While we were honeymooning in Florida, it apparently was some sort of drought, and we kept hearing stories of crocodiles and alligators coming up onto land looking for water. We overheard stories in the grocery store about them being in somebody's yard where the sprinklers were running, or being in somebody's pool. And when we were in Walmart, somebody said there was a big one out in the Walmart parking lot in a huge puddle. This, of course, made me very anxious. I made sure and asked James to check the pool or the yard before I went swimming or walked out to the car because I did not want to run into one of these alligators or crocodiles. Now, before I tell you this next part, I need to let my listeners know that I have a pretty good sense of humor about my vision. And ever since James and I have gotten together, he has taken great pleasure in pranking or punking me, I guess you could say. Sometimes in our apartment, James would creep around behind me and be completely quiet. And I'd be looking around feeling like somebody was following me and then he would touch me or something and I would jump. Other times he would come home and I wouldn't even know he was home. So he would walk around the house and make noises here and there. And then I would walk around looking and saying, hello, who's there? And of course he would jump out and scare me and get a big kick out of this. Anyway, I guess when it came to these crocodiles and alligators, James just couldn't help himself. I remember I was walking to the car and he came and stood out on the porch and says, oh my God, there's an alligator behind you. Of course, I screamed and jumped in the car as he's laughing his ass off on the porch. Then another time I had gone out into the pool before he had gotten up and he came running out the door and says, Nicole, get out of the pool. There's a crocodile on the bottom of it. And of course, he found this hilarious. Now, don't feel bad for me because I did my fair share of pranking with James. He was notorious for always losing his car keys and wallet. So when I would come across them, when he'd place them down, I'd take them and hide them somewhere like in the freezer. He'd be walking around looking for them and say, hey, Nicole, have you seen my car keys or wallet? I'd say, no, dummy, I'm blind. 
James and I both had family members in Florida that were unable to attend the wedding. James's grandmother and one of his aunts was over there. And for me, I had a cousin who had four little kids and another one of my aunties that we all wanted to spend time with. We also decided to go to several amusement parks and basically just spend some quality time together. We did have several hiccups during our honeymoon. For instance, when we were looking for the house or villa that we had rented, we spent hours basically going around in circles lost looking for it. We ended up at a waffle house and finally figured out where it was. It turned out we had been passing it the whole time. The street sign was just too small to see. I did have several panic and anxiety attacks and some of them were pretty bad. Some of them I couldn't pull myself out of and they blew up. It didn't matter though, James kept his cool and always pulled me out of them. He always made a joke afterwards to make me laugh and feel better. I think if James didn't have such a good understanding of my panic attacks and my anxiety, uh, we may have actually come back divorced because some of them were pretty bad. We did various different touristy kinds of things like we ate out, we went shopping, we went to Universal Studios in Gatorland, we went to the Polynesian Resort at Disney World and had dinner with several of my family members. We went to various other attractions and we drove and spent two days with my father, stepmother, and half-sister. We also had dinner with James's grandmother and aunt and James hadn't seen his grandmother since he was little. I think he was about two the last time he saw her. James's grandmother was so happy to see him and overjoyed. She enjoyed meeting me and we are very glad that we did spend that time with her because shortly after that she passed away. Overall, despite the hiccups, we had a really good time there. We didn't want it to come to an end, but as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. I think we were only home for about a week when we left for California. My grandparents were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. There was a lot of family and friends that were in town, and after our honeymoon, all of this seemed a little overwhelming to me. I did have a really hard time on this trip. I experienced frequent headaches, but I think we made the best of it and had a good time anyway. I was anxious to go home and relax. When we got home though, it seemed everything hit full throttle. James went back to school and we also continued to try and do our workouts. My parents had actually given us a five acre plot, just a few plots on the other side of the street down from them for our wedding gift. Now we had to consider putting a house on this property, getting a road onto this property, electric and water. It was a lot to sort out and we didn't even know where to start. We did some research and started looking at manufactured homes. We had considered doing a stick-built home, but I needed something that I could walk around of, get the feel of the house and the floor plan of the house. Once we picked out a manufactured home that we liked, we started to look into getting our property ready. Now this process actually took some time, and I think it was about a year later before we were ready to put the house on it.
During this year that we were waiting for the property, we started helping my mom with her foster children. My mom had always been a foster parent since her move to Washington. James and I started doing what they call respite care. So we would stay with her foster children when her and my stepfather went away for a few days, or we would take them on outings like to lunch or movies. And some of them would actually just come over and sit and chat with me and watch daytime TV. Many of my mom's foster kids found it pretty easy to talk to me. I think it was because of everything I had already been through and experienced. James and I found ourselves really liking helping these troubled children out. We began the process of becoming foster parents ourselves. This process was not easy for me because of my vision and I had to jump through some extra hoops in order to get licensed. I had to prove to the licensor that my vision would not impede my ability to care for these kids. I had to take them through my process of marking and identifying items. Also, James was going to be home full time when we took kids. I had to put various different safety and emergency plans in place. As we were going through the process to get licensed, James and I were getting a lot of hands-on experience with my mom's foster kids, and a lot of my mom's friends had started to use our services as well. Now, when it was time to go buy our house, my mother had come to us and said she had found one and she wanted us to see it. She was sure I was going to absolutely love it. We were actually pretty set on the house we had picked out though. My mom explained to me that the floor plan was very open and spacious, that there was an extra bedroom and more square footage than the house we were currently looking at. Boy, was I glad I listened to my mom for once in my life because I absolutely loved this house. When you walked up the two steps onto the porch, on the left there was a sliding glass door and in front of you was the front door, which opened onto, I guess you could say an entryway that had a hall closet to the left and to the right was the master bedroom. As you walked into the master bedroom, sitting off the side of the master bedroom was actually another bedroom that they called a parent retreat. The master bedroom is pretty big. It has a walk-in closet that has a door that goes into the bathroom, which has two sinks, a bathtub, and a vanity space for me. And then there's another door that exits out into the bedroom. When you exit the master bedroom and go to the right, you enter a big spacious living room. It has three dormer windows and then turns a little bit into the dining room. It kind of just merges together because it's such an open floor space. As you walk through the little dining space, you basically walk straight into my kitchen where on one side of the wall is the refrigerator, the pantry and the stove. Then there's a breakfast bar and behind you there is an island. On the other side of the kitchen, there's a dishwasher, a sink and cabinets. 
and then you walk straight forward and you are basically where our kitchen table sits. And to your left is the slider, which also comes in from the porch. From my kitchen table, you basically take a right and you are in my family room, which is once again, a huge open space with three dormer windows. Along the left side of the wall, you have a guest room with a bathroom. Then you have a laundry room. And then you have a hallway which has two bedrooms and a bathroom in the middle. I really love the openness of this house, how one room basically merged into the other room. I could really picture James and I raising kids here, growing old together, and my parents were actually within walking distance from my house. Since we love this house so much, we went to the Palm Harbor showroom and ordered our home. We picked out all the options that they gave us, linoleum, carpet, and curtains. And their contractor that they worked with just happened to be in the showroom that day, and we spoke with him and hired him on the spot. We paid for all land prep, construction, putting in the electrical and water in cash. Our house we financed, which we got an extremely good deal on because somehow my mother, being the negotiator she is, convinced the showroom guy that she was actually considering putting another Palm Harbor home on her property. I think our house baseline actually went for 146,000, but we actually got it for 109000 and like I said, it was because my mom did her finagling and sweet-talking. It took several months for our house to be assembled in the warehouse. So while this was going on, the foundation was poured and our two-door garage with office was built. I had this office built so James could have a man cave and he could escape from me or I could kick him out. Our house was delivered in three pieces and basically sat there for six months due to holdups with the permits. Once our house was actually able to be put on the foundation and assembled and we cleared up any little details or hiccups, I think we were in our house by fall of 2002. We didn't really take much furniture from our apartment. Um, I think we took our bedroom set, which we put in the guest room, and we slept on an air mattress while we waited for our new bedroom set to come. We bought a lot of our furniture from factory closeout stores and got some pretty good deals. We bought couches for both living and family room. We bought a kitchen table with bar stools and we bought furniture for the two extra rooms with the bathroom in the middle of it for kids. We set that up for foster care. In the beginning, when we started doing foster care from our home, we did a lot of respite care for my mom and her friends. We turned a lot of placements away because we weren't sure if we were the right fit for that particular child. I don't think we actually took our first foster care placement until the beginning of 2003. Our first placement was a 12-year-old Hispanic male. He had two developmentally delayed parents and him and his older brother were basically left to their own devices and to run the streets. Now, 
This was not this young man's first time in placement, but this was the first time they had actually placed him four hours away from his original home. I guess they thought if they took him away from where he came from and from his brother, he might not get in so much trouble. This young man had been in and out of trouble since he was about eight years old. He had a rap sheet that had a lot of malicious mischief charges on it. I think there was probably about 25 different charges. I think his fines totaled a couple thousand dollars and I remember thinking to myself, how was this child ever supposed to pay these fines on his own? I guess the court had left the payments up to the parents who were developmentally delayed and couldn't take care of themselves, let alone these two boys. We had all his court cases and fines transferred to where we lived. We gave him chores to earn money and every month I wrote a check. Um, it wasn't a lot because each fine I guess he had to pay was about $5 but we were able to get his fines down drastically in the time that he spent with us. Now, he should have been in sixth grade, but when we got him, he was only working at a second grade level. So we placed him in a home partnership program where he went to a classroom every day and worked on the computer and then brought textbook work home. He was able to work at his own pace here and try and catch up. James was home full time and he was able to go to school with him a lot and work with him in the classroom and at home. We got him enrolled in the Sylvan Learning Center. He needed some extensive help. I think it was like a thousand hours, but the state would only pay for about 350 hours, which really pissed me off. This young man needed a lot of help, but they would only fund part of it. James and I put in some of our own money to help fund his hours with Sylvan Learning Center. This young man only came with one pair of pants, two shirts, one pair of underwear, one pair of socks, and one pair of shoes. I think the state only gave us a clothing voucher for about $100. This did not seem like nearly enough to me to get this young man set up with clothing. So James and I think we spent, oh, about an additional $300 to get him everything he needed. He had no toys or anything. Um, we did have a few on hand, but we went ahead and let him pick out a few things. The only problem we had was the items he actually gravitated towards. These were things that I thought were inappropriate for a 12-year-old. Uh, young boy. He uh, very much gravitated towards, I guess you could say, gang paraphernalia. He loved explicit language, uh, music, and movies that basically glamorized the gang lifestyle. This wasn't his fault, though. He had been left to run the streets since he was eight years old because his parents were incapable of taking care of him. And of course, him and his brother turned to the gang, which made him feel like he had a family and somebody to rely on. James and I basically had to show this young man a different way of life. It wasn't easy and it was heartbreaking at times.
First, we helped him pick out some appropriate clothing and shoes, and then we helped him pick out some board games. Um, James played a lot of video games with him. We took him to what we thought were child-appropriate movies, and we gave him a way to earn what was called a Nintendo DS. We gave him chores, and if he saved up half of it, we would pay for the other half and help him buy the video game. When he actually got it, he was so proud of himself because he had actually earned something instead of having to steal everything. When it came to food, he was um, used to eating things fast and quick that didn't have to be cooked. McDonald's was like a delicacy or an absolute treat for him because his parents always bought it for him on payday. At first, James and I kind of indulged his um, fast food obsession. After we indulged him a little, we started to cook for him, show him what kinds of different foods there was. I made sure he always had a hot lunch and snacks available. At first, um, when we started showing him all this different food, he would ask for top ramen packets and he would sprinkle the seasoning on top of it and crunch it down. I asked him one time, I said, did you know you can cook that in water? And he told me, yeah, I know we can cook it in water, but I never had water or electricity to cook it. I then asked him where him and his family used to live. And what he said to me um, brought tears to my eyes, so much so that I had to turn away from him. He said him and his family uh, never really stayed one place too long. A lot of the times he slept on a couch or his family would bounce from hotel to hotel and then they, until they got kicked out. And when they got kicked out, they usually slept in the tent in the woods. It broke my heart that so many kids were dealt such a crap hand at life and so many of them slipped through the cracks. This young man had actually been in and out of care for quite some time. Every single time the state would reunite him and his parents after they helped them get on their feet. And yet every single time the parents would end up back on the street. It seemed to me, though, that this time the state was actually trying to change the course for this young man and give him a better shot at life. My actual only question was, the state actually too late for this young man? Um, usually, when a child is taken into foster care, reunification is always the plan. I understand reunification and trying to keep families together, and some families actually make this work and it becomes a wonderful thing. But in this case, I didn't understand it. They had returned these kids to their home so many different times, but yet with the same result each and every time. It was very clear to me that his parents were not capable of taking care of themselves, let alone him and his brother. I did meet his parents a few times, and while they didn't seem like bad people and they genuinely cared and loved for their kids, it was very clear that they were incapable of caring for them. 
This young man was with us for several months and I felt like he was really flourishing. He had some very good friends and was doing activities that I thought were appropriate for a 12 year old. He was catching up in school and we had even considered asking about taking his brother so the two boys could be together. We had just actually spent our first Christmas with him and I think this was actually his first Christmas. And what I mean by that is he did not believe in Santa because Santa had never ever brought him any gifts. I really wanted him to experience the magic of Christmas. So I did all the traditional things you do with a child when it's leading up to Santa. I made him write a letter. I made him take his picture with Santa and we of course made cookies and left goodies out for Santa and the reindeer. We did go a little overboard on the presents, but on Christmas morning, he did seem uh, genuinely shocked. I overheard him talking to his brother on the phone, telling him that he had left Santa explicit instructions on where to leave his gifts and Santa had actually left them where he had asked. It created such joy in my heart that we had actually made this Christmas super special for him. It was a little after New Year's and I had received a call from the social worker who had actually just been changed. He told me that my foster son was actually being moved in a matter of days. I asked the social worker why this was happening. He told me that they were actually going to place the two boys closer to their parents because it was too expensive to transport the parents four hours away where the boys were to visits. I then explained to the worker that we were willing to take both boys and we would be willing to transport them four hours to their parents. The social worker said no. He then told me that they were actually going to work on reuniting the family again. Really, I asked? I told the social worker at this time that I would hate to see this young man fall into the traps of the gangs in the streets that he had fallen into before. I asked him, is there anything I can do to prevent this move? The social worker replied to me, no. I had to have my foster son ready to go in a few weeks. Well, I did not think the state was acting in the best interest of this child, so I called his lawyer. I expressed my concern for this young man to his attorney, and he had a court date set within a week. He asked me to gather up statements from teachers, friends, and community members on how well this young man was doing. The attorney told me that we would ask the court to place both these boys with me and that James and I could transport them to their visits. I then um, told our foster child what was going on and I told him I would understand if he wanted to go, but if he wanted to stay, I would ask the court if he could stay. So about a week later, after gathering up all our letters, we headed the four hours to court. I knew something was wrong the minute I walked into that room and the lawyer came up to me. He then asked me not to say anything negative about the social worker. 
I told him, that's actually not what I'm here to do. I don't agree with this move. I don't think it's in the child's best interest. The lawyer basically got into court and asked the court to move both boys into our care where we would transport them to visits. He then went on to say, both boys are doing so well, why the rush to move them? Why move them back into a community where they have gotten in so much trouble? The lawyer then said, as you can see from the letters in front of you, this young man is doing really well and he wants to stay with the Garamones. The judge then turned to the state and asked the worker why the move for these two boys. The worker explained that he wanted to move the boys together and closer to their parents because he thought if the family was closer together, it would be better for that particular family unit. The worker then told the judge that they were once again working on reunification for the family. The judge then turned to us and asked us if we had anything to say. I stood up and I said that this young man has worked so hard and has come so far in the short time that he has been with us. I hate to see him returned to this community where he could possibly fall into the traps of the gangs again. The judge then said something I will never forget. He said that he had seen this young man before his court since he was eight years old and today he sees a completely different young man before him. He then went on to say that what the Garamones have done with this young man is nothing short of a miracle and that he hates to see all this hard work go to waste, but he is not one to question the state and why they are doing this. The judge then went on to say that the state knows what they're doing and he has to trust them. I remember thinking to myself, what a crock of shit. This is a judge. He could easily overrule the state in this particular case. I've seen it done before. I was absolutely heartbroken and vowed never to take another foster child again. We drove him to the designated meeting spot, had one last breakfast together, and a very teary goodbye. We heard from him a few days later, and that was the last time we ever heard from him. We have looked for him on social media, but have been unable to find him. Still to this day, he holds a very special place in my heart. I hope and pray that he had a wonderful and successful life. So listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, hit that like, subscribe, and follow button. If you want to help support my podcasting journey, hit the listener support. I leave you with much alofa, and until we meet again.